0: Welcome everyone to Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Lern, and I'm joined as normal by Carrie Smith, who is today in a remote location. Carrie, say hi.
1: Hi, Carter.
0: Your I'm hair is doing weird background. things with your green screen.
1: Yeah, okay. I'm going back to this. <laughs> Good to be here.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad you could join us. Um, this is the next video in the series that we promised you about personal safety and security. Um Like our last video, this is not going to be too technical, I hope, Uh, but it is going to be a discussion with a guest this time, and he's a bit of an unusual guest for a couple reasons I think that will become apparent. First of all, he will be anonymous. We'll be referring to him him as Steve, and you'll see that he is not visually uh, recognizable. (laughs) Uh, second, we are uh, going to be a bit vague about his background, and that's intentional for his own protection, um, but I wanted to ha- have him on the show because we've talked about the intrinsic link between um, freedom and responsibility, and this is a guy that I think uh, is the embodiment of becoming expertly responsible for the life and safety of himself and his loved ones, and uh, I think actually that affords him a lot of freedom as a result. Um, So Steve describes himself as a capitalist tool or an evangelist for capitalism, but not crony capitalism. Uh, He's traveled to more than 100 countries. He's worked in more than 30 countries over the last 20 years. He's been to nice global destinations, but he's also uh, been to the not nice places quite a bit. And during most of his travel, he's operated in non-permissive environments, almost always alone. Uh, And so to increase his personal safety, He's had to acquire a set of skills that would help keep him alive and get him home uh, safely. He is a gray man. If you crossed paths with him, you he's very forgettable, and that's by design. It's intentional. Uh, maybe I'll tell a story about that in a minute. Um, I first met him in the southwestern United States while I was cleaning a pistol. Uh, we chatted. He told me that I ought I to read Ayn Rand, and I said, I have read Ayn Rand. And we've been friends ever since. That was about 20 years ago. So uh, with that said, um, Steve, welcome to the show.
2: Hello, Carter. Hello, Carrie. Great to be here. I've been following you guys and your progress since the beginning. And uh, I'm glad I can contribute.
0: Well, uh, I I, I can't not tell this story because it was one of the first things that struck me about you. We... (laughs) whenever we went to Starbucks and it was not in the same town all the time, it was like, it wasn't, it wasn't like the local star. I don't know what you did with the local Starbucks in your town, but whenever we went to Starbucks anywhere in, in, in the world or whatever country, I guess we didn't travel around in the world too much. Um, I didn't with you, but, uh, you would always give them a different name. And I remember asking, (laughs) I remember asking you, (laughs) I'm like, why are you giving them a different name? Um, do you want to tell me what you told them? Because I was unfamiliar with this gray man concept at all at the time.
2: Uh, I can't remember exactly what I had told you, but it was probably something along the lines of, one, that they really don't need to know my name, and it should be something that they just forget. I wouldn't be surprised if we left there and did a surveillance detection route after that either.
0: Uh, I believe we probably did. <laughs> <laughs> I, think we, I think we probably did. So... um Look, a lot of people uh, that are uh, in in our community, I think, are there's some people in our community that have been into personal safety and firearms and or prepping or whatever. Like they've been in that community for a while. But I think a lot of people are looking at what's going on around us. They're seeing um, mobs of of roving gangs. They're worried about defunding the police in in cities. They're worried about the, just the general civil unrest that seems to be percolating and becoming more and more of a threat. And they are doing things like going and buying guns, and getting worried about like, well, what would we do if, um, and that kind of stuff. And so, uh, I I want to maybe kick this off by just asking you, from a practical perspective, how do you go about even? Because there's just so many things to. It's almost an it's it's almost like a, an overwhelming problem. There's so many things to worry about. There's so many things to that could go wrong in a million different situations. How do you even go about taking responsible, taking that responsibility for your personal safety and security and doing something about it? Like, what's your approach?
2: Um, So there's a lot to say here, a a lot to talk about and unpack, but let me just start with a couple of things then we can dive into that. One of the fundamental things that that I I very much viscerally believe and and have for decades is that um, I'm always prepared to take responsibility for my personal defense and that of those in my charge. So that's really, that's, a, that's about a lifestyle. So that is me taking responsibility for everything that happens to me and the people that I care about. Uh, generally, that's my immediate family. Um, I have a, quite a network of very close friends, so it could be the responsibility I take for my community as well. Uh, and as I extend that, as, as you mentioned, I've traveled extensively. Um, I really care about people overall. And when I talk about being a capitalist tool, that's so that I can help spread an economic system that, in the best case, uh, as it should be, that it empowers people to do other stuff. So that's that, That's really where I start, is I'm taking responsibility for myself and those things that I care about uh, to make my world and maybe others a bit better. Um, one of the things, though, that that you have to do with that is that your level of awareness on what's happening in your environment has to be uh, high or, or certainly much different than people are led to believe. We live in a society that's very complex. If you think in terms of um, just humanity and, you know, we're only 50 generations away from the agricultural revolution and before that we were largely bands of hunter- hunters and gatherers. So this whole notion of this highly dense uh, world of city-states where we've handed off um, our personal protection and personal defense to essentially, you know, professional guilds, if you will, through law enforcement and and larger military stuff, really changes the way that that we interact with the world. And so as a result, a lot of that people are just told, um, "Hey, don't worry about it. Just call the police. The police will help you." When in reality, the police really. They're, they have no direct responsibility for you as an individual. Um, I'm sure you could look this up and maybe put it in the show notes, but this has been to the Supreme Court numerous times where the police are not responsible for, for your health and safety. They don't have to show up uh, if they don't want to. So um, you really it really needs to start with um, an awareness of what's going on in your environment and how to deal with potential issues as they come up. Um, I could keep going, but I'll give you guys a break here to... Chime in if you want to add anything. Otherwise, I was going to talk about um, some levels of awareness.
0: Well, actually, that was where I was going to go directionally next. I was going to say, like, is this? Are we going to get into the Colonel Cooper level of awareness or something else? Like, what? Sure. Okay, go. go. I, I think that's.
2: Mean. I think that's. That's that's a a good way. It's a good set of lessons to live by. Um, so there's a guy, uh, Colonel Jeff Cooper, who's uh, deceased. Um, and he, he started a place called gunsight and did a whole lot of stuff in the, let's say the 1960s, seventies and eighties around firearms training. And he came up with a, uh, it's called the modern technique of the pistol. And, and so a lot of things have evolved since Cooper's time, but there's um, quite a few things that are rather timeless. Uh, one of which was the color codes so the color codes are really states of awareness that you can exist in and most people in the world walk around in the con- what's called condition white so white is this condition where you're walking around let's use Starbucks right I walk into Starbucks I'm thinking about my caramel frappuccino macchiato with two squirts of extra sugar or whatever it happens to be and you know maybe you're ad- admiring a you know, a cute guy or a cute gal or whatever, you're just, you're just there and, and, and the environment is there. And or your not,
1: mind is occupied by other yeah, concerns.
2: Abso- absolutely. Or okay. a great, great example, Carrie, is you're, you're task fixated, like you're looking at your phone, right? Um, so a good example of this is people that sit in their cars in a parking lot staring at their phone. A whole lot to say about cars and parking lots. But but you're task fixated. You're not looking at the world around you. And when you are in that state, it's very easy for you to be a victim because you don't see anybody coming. So we're, we're primarily talking about like a criminal activity, right? But we could also equate this to maybe the rioting and the civil unrest that's there as well. But let's just keep it at criminal stuff to, to keep it simple. So in Condition White in order for you to realize that something is happening to you, you have to go through this mental diagnostic checklist of what's happening. It's called the OODA loop. So observe, orient, um, decide, and act. And all of that stuff takes time. And usually if you're in condition white, you are the ideal victim. right? The criminal gets a payday. They get whatever they want. Hopefully they just want to rob you. Uh, In a worst case scenario, they're going to Kidnap you, do bodily harm to you, take you to a secondary crime scene where lots of bad stuff can happen. You really don't want to be in condition white. Um, the next level of awareness is condition yellow, and in condition yellow, let's just use the Starbucks example again. You know, you as you drive into the Starbucks, you look at the parking lot and you say, "Okay, who's here and what's going on?" You know, you take note of things that. May look out of the ordinary for a Starbucks parking lot. Uh, sometimes we call that the baseline of an environment. Given environments have a baseline; they've got a rhythm all their own, and you need to be attuned to the baseline so that you can detect things that are aberrant and, and that wants you want to get your attention. So, in condition yellow, you kind of got this radar, and the radar is just going around thinking, "Hmm, I know that potentially I could have, you know, an encounter today that." Uh, maybe from a criminal or potentially violence or something like that. And I'm just paying attention. Could this happen? Let me look at the people. How are the cars parked? Are there, you know, if it's at night, are there, you know, young men hanging out in the shadows, you know, that are standing around? You know, I have to transit this, this, um, this space between my vehicle and the Starbucks. When I go into the Starbucks, as I open the door, I look around – you know, does anything seem out of the ordinary? Are they getting robbed? I mean, that's a particularly big deal in a convenience store. But what you're doing is you're just paying attention. You're, you're, you are you're have the notion that something could happen to you. And if you compare condition white to condition yellow, you've already changed middle gears. So that you're, you're thinking, oh, something could happen. That's in your realm of possibility. So if something does happen, you're much more likely to see it coming at you because it's blown the baseline or you've considered that
0: this is, this is a possibility. So the third state wait, 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 is— wait, Before we uh, move on, yeah, can, can we just pause sure. on Conditioned Yellow for a minute? Because there's a couple, uh, yeah. couple of things. Um, first, I think I hear a lot of people push back on Conditioned Yellow from the standpoint of, well, I don't want to live my life like that. I don't want to have to pay attention to where the exits are all the time and constantly looking for cover and concealment. Um, can you talk about that mindset? Can I speak to
1: that for a second?
0: Yeah, yeah, please, Carrie. Can <laughs> I
1: answer that? So this isn't the first time I've heard about the conditions white, white, and yellow. I, I didn't know it was. I didn't know who it was developed by or anything. But when I was doing uh, firearms training, one of my instructors talked to me about situational awareness and these different color stages and um, it's, I would say, as a person who you believe this or not, because I know I seem kind of loopy, but most of the time I'm in condition yellow when I'm out. And that just came naturally to me, maybe because of childhood or something. I don't know. But uh, it's not a constant stage of, I would say, it's not a constant stage of paranoia, it's just being more present. Which I think everybody could stand to be a little more present and conscious in mm-hmm. the world anyway, because the stage white that you're talking about is where people are just not in, they're not in the moment. Mm-hmm. They're on their phone, their attention is elsewhere, they're, they're grocery shopping, but their mind is on the argument that they had yesterday instead of being present in the moment where they are. So I don't really, I just wanted to address that pushback because I've heard that too, Carter. And from a layman's point of view of someone who I perceive myself to most often be in the yellow stage, it's not about, um, it's not about being constantly, I wouldn't even say vigilant, it, it, vigilant makes you think, I think some people hear the word vigilant and they think it's a lot of energy and exertion. It's not. It's just trying to be more there wherever you are yeah. instead of being somewhere
2: else. I think of it as kind of a relaxed state of awareness. My, my yes. anxiety is not high. Yes. I'm relaxed. I'm just paying attention and I'm in tune with my environment. And this doesn't have to be in an urban setting. This could be in the woods, right? Or if I'm out on the water. Uh, right. Yeah, there, there's you're paying attention to what's going on around you and you're engaged with your environment at, at a level.
3: How do you- By the way, a
1: great way to be a gray man, if you're a woman, to be a gray woman is to have the appearance
2: of being loopy. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Just, just don't be too obvious, right? You don't want to. Be <laughs> <too obvious.
0: laughs> yeah. I, I was going to ask so, if you had any. Do you have any advice for parents for teaching their kids how to behave this way? Like, um, <clears throat> when you go out to the store, how do you? Do, is this something that you train your kids to be able to do as well?
2: Oh yeah my my kids are are well versed in the color codes and they it, it it's kind of funny sometimes they're adults now but they begrudgingly talk about it's like in their vernacular you know they talk about oh my god i'm becoming my dad but uh, especially the blowing the baseline stuff but but it it really you know it, it, this isn't just about personal defense it's about awareness in life right? This could be financial. Um, it could be relationship-wise. It could be many different things. But back to the kids specifically, um, what I would do is I would just have conversations with the kids. And I would talk to them in a rational manner and treat them kind of as, you know, kind of this ascendant being, if you will. And their their brain is, you know, evolving over time. But I I, I would have kind of, I guess, more adult conversations with them, if you will. So specific examples of that might be, um, like with my kids in particular, we drive around the world and I would point out different people, right? And I would say, okay, this individual over here um, has this job, whatever it is, could be a grocery store clerk, could be a doctor, it could be a sign flipper. And I would say, here are the choices that probably led to that person being the way they are. And this is economically what they're likely to be making. And this is how their life will work because they are the result of these decisions that they've made. And no value judgment on it. It's just reality. Likewise, if we go into a grocery store and somebody's behaving in a uh, an odd way or something, something that, that gets your attention, we would just talk about it hey, did you notice that guy with the, whatever, droopy jeans and um, the really bad breath and whatever, something, you know, that was lurking around in that one particular aisle, why do you think that would be going on? What, What would that individual be doing? Is it potentially that they're stealing something from the store? Did you notice that the behavior is not what you're normally used to seeing? And we would just have conversations like that, and I would just introduce this to them. I mean, they've, they've grown up with it all their life, and they, you know, they have the benefit of all this time I've spent out of the U.S. and doing things alone because I'm very attuned to what's going on in the environment around me. Uh, and they like, they kind of learn that way, and that's how I chose to impart that information and knowledge to them
0: all right so maybe maybe it is time then to move on to the next level so we we hit yellow we're in that relaxed state of awareness uh yep what's the next level
2: so the next level from there is you're you're in your relaxed state of awareness and you notice something in the environment that kind of grabs your attention it's not quite right i think um you know, Carrie, you talk about, um, you inherently have you're in condition yellow. I think a lot of women have this, especially around, you know, creepy guys, for example, you know, your spidey senses come up a little bit. Um, Carter, you guys have talked about, uh, Sanford Strong and a lot of the work that he's done and talked about, you know, f- uh, force teaming and other behaviors that just aren't quite right. You know, your intuition is damn good. So usually, lean into your intuition. But in the next condition, condition orange, you identify a specific issue that you may have to address. So this could be, oh, let's say you're leaving, um, you're, you're leaving an office building at night, assuming we ever get back into office buildings, and you're going to the car park, and as you're in the transitional space from maybe the elevator to the car, you see some guy that's between you and the vehicle halfway there. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, what is going on? And so in condition orange, you've identified a specific issue that you may have to deal with um, for your personal safety or that of those in your charge. And what's happening here is that you've moved yourself through these um, levels of awareness from white, I'm not paying any attention, to yellow is relaxed awareness, to orange now I've identified something specifically that I I may need to deal with, so that is the next phase. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, Carrie. Yes, make sense. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and you're right. Uh, I think so that's the-
1: a good. I think that for any women watching, I think that um, your example there is a good example for women of how they're probably in a relaxed stage of awareness mm-hmm. most of the time, anyway, or especially in certain circumstances, like at yeah. night. Walk into yeah. their car alone, things like that. Yeah. You're yeah, just saying the- you can be you can be in that relaxed state of awareness outside of just those specific circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: and, and in fact, that's a nice segue. I was going to mention one of the things that I do in Condition Yellow is um, you know we've talked about the phone and this whole notion of task fixation, and so what I've done is I've trained myself to mentally identify times when I'm task fixated. And go, oh, shit, I'm task fixated. I need to get back to scanning the environment. So a, a great example, this happens to me, is, you know, you're you're sitting in the car and you take a look at your phone, maybe at a stoplight. And, you know, the phone starts to suck you in. And then I say, oh, I'm task fixated. And then I, I lift my head up and I look around to make sure I know what's going on to break that task fixation, to maintain, again, that relaxed state of awareness and to get out of the task fixation of the phone or whatever i happen to be doing.
0: Now so, when you're in, when you're in when you're in condition orange and you've identified a specific threat or or a specific situation that you may need to deal with um, is is this a part where you are kind of planning with these are some ways i might deal with it or or react? I mean is is there planning that's happening mentally at that point? A-
2: Absolutely. And this is where I think for your audience, um, understanding kind of what we're talking about and then maybe getting some training to help um, role play some of these scenarios is really, really helpful because um, you, you prepare like mental tracks of action. They're like non-diagnostic actions where if you're in condition orange because you've seen somebody that's a threat, then, you know, you... Uh, you can deal with it. So there is a body of work that's um, called uh, Managing Unknown Contacts that comes from a, um, a group called ShivWorks, S-H-I-V-W-O-R-K-S. A guy named Craig Douglas started this, and uh, Craig is just brilliant at this stuff. And in what you do in Managing Unknown Contacts is that you deal with the guy in the parking garage that's there. So you're in Condition Orange. You don't know what's going to go on. It may be nothing. I mean, it may be a guy... Who wants to panhandle you or something like that? And it's innocuous, but you need to figure out how to deal with that situation. So when I talked about um, thinking in terms of criminal assault, um, you know, usually when you see criminals um, working, they they they're, they're going to have um, um, unequal initiative and unequal armament, meaning that you're by yourself, and so they're going to take the initiative, hopefully, to catch you in a sense. in condition white, and they their armament may be such that that uh, there's more than one of them, and you know they may be armed with guns or knives or, or what have you, because in general, if we're just talking about criminals, they're looking for a payday. They want the shortest path towards whatever payday they're going to get, which is robbing you, taking your phone, whatever it happens to be, or potentially worse. So when you're in that condition orange, you need to figure out how to manage unknown contacts. So a lot of that is, um, having the verbal skills to be able to maintain some distance because, um, distance equals time. And if you want to be able to defend yourself, you want as much time as possible. Uh, the other thing you want is you want to stay conscious and you want to stay on your feet. So before we get into, you know, from a martial standpoint, what do I do with my hands? You know, if I have a firearm, do I draw it? What do I do with an edge weapon? You know, what are potential escape vectors that I have? You want to be able to manage that contact in such a way that um, you buy yourself some time, maybe you buy yourself some space, and you stay conscious and ultimately you stay upright. Because if you get on the ground, um, that's probably going to be a, a bad day for you. So, I'll, I'll stop that for there. Do you have any questions or? Additional uh, comments related to
0: that? I'll just say that um, I, m- I remember when Craig did uh, in that one shiverks class where Craig talked about um, managing like managing that uh, managing a situation verbally um, with mm-hmm. overwhelming kind of like a um, I'm not I don't remember the words he used, but like an overreaction almost uh, mm-hmm. as a way to like shock people. I will say that after that class, I was I was in a situation at late at night in a bad part of the city at a gas station, and some guy was approaching me, and I used the verbal techniques yeah. that Craig taught me, and, uh, you know, it shocked him, and eventually, like, he just thought I was crazy and, like, ended up leaving without yeah. ever really getting more than 10, 12 feet away from me, um, and I was surprised at how well it worked because I'm not a big tough looking guy and he looked like he was bigger and tougher and uh you know i i didn't have to use force at all i just had to manage the situation properly but it was because i was aware and it was because of the techniques that that craig had taught me
1: can you give an example of what techniques you're talking about for anybody listening
2: sure sure so let's say somebody's making an approach to me the first thing i'm going to do is um, I'll, I'll put my hands up, and this is called a fence. It was um, a U.K. doorman um, coined this term. But but this fence, psychologically, it represents a barrier between you and I. And, and then I'm probably going to arc, like if you think of me being on a clock face where this potential threat and condition orange is at 12 and maybe I'm at 6 o'clock, I'm going to arc to either my right at 3 o'clock or to my left at 9 o'clock, and I'm going to do that so that um, – if there's somebody behind me that wants to come up and sucker punch me, I can see what's going on. But while I'm doing the arcing, I'll, I'd be like, hey, man, can, can you just hold up for me right there? Yeah, I'll talk to you. What do you need? And I, I'm moving, I'm arcing, maintaining the distance. And if they don't do that, then I might raise my voice, you know, to use um, some verbal agility, if you will, is, hey, back up! Just hold on! right? And so essentially what we're doing is we're deselecting ourselves from the criminal in that case, where they're like, whoa, I don't know what's up with white boy there, but man, that's more than I want to deal with today. That's not the easy payday I was looking for. And, and there's other things we can do to escalate that verbally to stop them, or depending on the situation, it, you know, if there's two guys there, man, reach in your pocket, dump 40 bucks out in a money clip, right, that you keep in your pocket, if you're in those environments, just to get them to walk away because hey what's happened then right you've deselected yourself from potentially a much bigger assault you probably kept your phone which you really care about at that point and maybe a you know a wallet full of credit cards and you're on their way give them the 40 bucks right it's fine but you fundamentally you're deselecting yourself from the situation does that help carrie
1: yes i was wondering also the carter what did you say that made this guy walk away
0: uh i it was almost exactly what described because i had just (laughs) taken this class uh so i did the thing i i uh, moved to the side there was no one behind me um he started coming at me like he didn't stop when i said it nicely so i escalated once and i yelled uh and he still didn't stop so i like crazy screamed and swore to stop and that's when he like was like screw you you're crazy and he ran away i'm like all right that, we're done <laughs> that that worked it was yeah. fine it was very
2: and I, i've actually effectively used that in, in multiple countries um with people that um i mean i don't speak anything other than english very well but but uh but it works it's universal kind of the fence the movement like that you you have the ability to raise and lower your voice depending on the level of intensity and all of a sudden they're like whoa that, this isn't what I was looking for, right? This is particularly appropriate in like a gas station because what, what we see is that you can watch gas station videos where um, – this happened to me uh, by the, I think the Midway Airport in Chicago is um, a bunch of guys came up and, and they wanted – this was at night and they wanted money. And I had been to this gas station before and I had told the guys I was with, if these guys come out of the – come out of the shadows, I want all of you to get out of the car and face them and do the following things. So I de-escalated that. And the reason I knew that worked is that I had seen videos from similar areas in Chicago during the day where you could see these, whatever, young men, right, 20-something, you know, teenagers, maybe late teens, and they're like hanging out in the corners of the gas station, and they're actually walking up to patrons and saying, you know, they, they pretend to be panhandling, Right. Um, hey, you know, can I, can I get five bucks or whatever? You got a cigarette or what do you have? But what they're really doing is they're dry running for the night when they can even close the distance more effectively and surprise you because you're task fixated on getting fuel and not paying attention to what's around you. And that's when you get mugged. And I thought it was shocking. The, the, the muggers are actually practicing the mugging and you can go see it on video from the day to the night. So, um, yeah.
0: So let's. So you're in, you're in orange, yeah. you've identified a threat, uh, but orange is not the last level of situational awareness. Why don't you take us to the next level?
2: Sure. So, so condition red is the last level of, it's, it's really not awareness. It's, it's, I guess it's more awareness that you, you're actively having to do something to defend yourself or those that you're with. And that, that can mean a number of different things. Um, if you carry a firearm um, it, it gets really quite complicated because a lot of times what we see is that if you're having, um, y- you know, um, uh, potentially a lethal encounter at conversational distance or really within arm's reach of if I can touch them or they can touch me, that's kind of the distances we're talking about. And a lot of people think of the firearm as this magic talisman that, oh God, I got a gun, everything's going to work. Well, no, it, it really doesn't. And if you don't do things to control the environment, remember I said you want to stay on your feet and you want to stay conscious. Um, you know, drawing a gun and being able to deploy the weapon at that, you know, that conversational range is a non-trivial task. It's something that you really need to train to do and to be effective at. And frankly, uh, I mean, I, I don't leave the house without a gun on. Um, but I also carry other things too, um, small fixed blade knife, because a lot of times the firearm is not the right answer, right? There's a um, thing, this is, this is from ShivWorks again, but it's a, it's a small knife called a clinch pick. And the clinch pick is really a tool that's, the, you know, uh, as Craig says, it's the get off me, stay off me tool, which just makes distance. So now I have some options. And as I said before, um, you know, the distance equals time. And if I had to, if I need to make more distance, if I've got somebody who has demonstrated some intent to do me bodily harm, or those that I'm with, then maybe I have room to appropriately get the weapon out and and then use the weapon in such a way that that defends my situation. Well, either they decide, whoop, I'm going to back down, I don't want to mess with this individual, or if I have to put rounds into them uh, to soften them up so that I can protect myself or others, then I can make that decision. But, but the point being here is that you need some sort of plan. I think Carter, I saw the, the video you did on, you know, having, having a plan and it was really quite good. This is all about, you know, being responsible for yourself. And if you buy a gun, good on you, I'm super pro firearm, but take the responsibility, God damn it, to go learn how to use it and and to use it appropriately. It's not this magic thing that You can sit in the glove box of your car and all of a sudden when, um, when it's time to use it, you're going to be proficient in any way at, at all about this. And I actually am um, one of the founders of a training group where we run through all the stuff you're talking about pretty much on a monthly basis um, just so that people are prepared to do that um, when, if and when the situation arises.
0: Can we, can we um, underscore something that you said for a minute? Um, uh-huh. I want to talk about uh, two things. One is being able to even even to draw your weapon quickly and efficiently is not something that most people even practice at all. So forget about close quarters. Just drawing it yeah. and, and aiming it downrange quickly is most ranges won't let you do that. Most people don't practice that at home with dry firing at all. So even accessing your weapon quickly is is generally not a skill that's practiced. And then on top of that, I think a lot of people don't realize the distance requirements for making a for a firearm to be pretty effective. I mean, unless you know what you're doing in terms of like close quarter weapon maneuvering, and if an average person pulls a gun on, I know this for you, Steve. I'll just speak for you, Steve. If an average person, if I were to walk up to you and and point a gun at you within arm's reach of you or a couple steps away from you, I'm dead. That's not, that gun's not going to help me.
2: Yeah, I, I will probably take the gun away from you and that may be a bad day. I, I, if I could, I, I want to be humble here, but, but yeah, we, we focus on that. So uh, let, let, me, let me kind of approach that from a, a little bit different spot than maybe you intended, Carter, is that. From a training standpoint uh, with firearms today, there is so much training available to you as a citizen, just an unbelievable amount of stuff that you can access. And, you know, go get some training. If you're going to spend, pick a number, 550 bucks, and you buy a Glock 19, um, spend 100 bucks on a proper holster. But realize you're probably going to go through three or four holsters till you find something that you like. You know, buy a dozen or half a dozen magazines, and then go spend five hundred bucks on a class and start to learn what you're doing with it. Get familiar with, be able to effectively load and unload it. There's, um, I think, you covered the four rules for firearm safety, but understand that and live, you know, all guns are always loaded. Never point the muzzle at anything you're not willing to destroy. Keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target and be aware of the target and what's beyond it. So start with that stuff, get, get some training into how to use it. And shooting's fun, by the way. Um, I, I may sound kind of intense, Um, And and I I don't mean to scare anybody off. I I really don't. I think all of this stuff is very manageable and all of this stuff is available to all of you. You know, like with a group that that in the community really that that I'm a part of, um, we teach good people to defend themselves from bad people kind of full stop. So that is available to all of you. Uh, So in terms of distance, you know, um, 21 feet. It may seem like a long way, but you can close that 21-foot distance extremely quickly. Um, that gets me really concerned when I see somebody with a knife because uh, somebody can come in with a knife. I could come in with a knife um, within 21 feet and really hurt you a lot, probably lethally. You know, you you would die, but you wouldn't know it because you haven't lost the blood pressure Yeah, that stops your muscles from functioning. And you're like, wow, that guy just hit me a bunch of times. Well, yeah, you got hit, but you got hit with a small knife that's created a lot of damage. So, um, yeah, the distance matters. But really knowing when to access the weapon and what to do if you're in condition red becomes extremely important. So de-escalating yourself from the problem and not getting involved in the first place is incredibly important. So is this is this tracking with you is this anything new or Yeah, I don't have here? any
1: I don't have much to add. No, I'm I I took some classes. I mean the the school that I trained with in LA, we did close quarter shooting. So, yeah, I'm sure some if people haven't done classes um they wouldn't be familiar with how that's different from, you know, having your arms all the way up and mm-hmm. offering your gun up to someone who's Close to you, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely the, the classes are are necessary. I, my, I'm sorry, my mind was just elsewhere on um, holsters and stuff while you were talking. What's your favorite? Let me ask you a question. What's your sure. favorite holster for concealed carry?
2: Um, ooh, that's evolving. I have a new one on today. Oh, you do? <laughs> I do. But uh, so my preferred carry method is what's called appendix. So uh, appendix means. Uh, depending if you're right or left-handed you're either carrying and call it the one o'clock position or maybe the 11 o'clock position uh in front of the hips and uh appendix is an incredibly powerful place to carry um a firearm or or i would i I would also say uh, if you carry a, a fixed blade knife along the midline that's good as well and that's for a number of different reasons one is uh the access to appendix to shoot and draw from either um, a compressed position um, or maybe of appropriate extension. As you were pointing out, Carrie, you know, you don't want to go to full extension if somebody's within arm's reach because now it's just a big fight to get over the gun. Uh, So so I like appendix for that reason. Also, I know that if I end up on my back and unfortunately – Huge amount of fights end up on the ground. Uh, if I'm carrying um, what's called, you know, strong side behind the hip, like say in in the waistband, then I'm on my back, and now I've got to get okay. off of my gun to be able to appropriately deploy deploy my gun when I've got this assault that's happening on top of me. Whereas um, I could do it with um, from appendix in, in in a much more controlled way a much faster way and my weapons access is much better than if i was to carry behind there now i, I do um well an appendix appendix is used in all kinds of people i know a number of uh, federal air marshals and i know federal air marshals that are sitting in airplane seats all day long carrying appendix with that firearm right there as well so it can be reasonably comfortable it's a bit unnerving the first time you do it but uh that would be my favorite position Um, And then in terms of which holster, that depends. Um, Am I using a red dot sight? Do I use uh, a weapons-mounted light on it? Do I have a combination of a red dot sight and a weapons-mounted light? Um, Am I using standard sights? Uh, And there's a variety of different manufacturers that are uh, good for that. I'm uh, particularly happy with Tentacor, T-E-N-I-C-O-R. They make some really nice stuff, and it's actually – pretty reasonably priced you can get decent holsters delivered for less than a hundred dollars so go buy three or four and figure out which one works for you Mm -hmm. and uh your taste will change over time Mm -hmm. cool thank you you're welcome
0: uh i don't want to i don't want to throw something at you that you weren't prepared for but i'm going to anyway because i I think you're probably prepared for it (laughs) just naturally uh can you talk about home defense and home security? Because I think a lot of people see uh, <clears throat> protecting their family from— I mean, they saw the mob thing in St. Louis, and they, they see people wanting to protect their family from um, some of the violence that's going on. And we spend a lot of time, frankly, at home. Not all of us are at Starbucks giving false names all the time. So, uh, By the way, this program <laughs> is
1: brought to you by Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was
0: gonna say. Nice so um,
2: uh, yeah what do you have to say about that well so uh, I'll, I'll actually make this full circle this actually comes back to a um, to a notion of, of just security in general and I heard you actually talk about this on a show recently but you know when when you were a wee lad and still a cryptographer you and I had a number of discussions um, about you know threat models and you know, security and what you were trying to secure against. And, you know, from an engineering standpoint, there is, you know, an infinite set of possibilities, depending given enough time and enough resources. But you can't you can't build for that because you'll never get anything done. So the first question I would ask in terms of home defense is, what are you protecting against? Um, so that, that's a very detailed discussion. But what I, I would say, just to simplify it, is um, I would start by making my home a, a hard target. So the first thing I would look at is one is where do I live? Right. And, you know, um, in, in special forces, um, they have, a, um, an AO group, right. Uh, a book, excuse me, uh, area of operation. So if, if you're a group guy and you're going to go into some place where, you know, you're deployed with your team, you're going to, you're going to list out everything that's around you, right? Where are the electric utilities? Um, where's the local police stations? Where's the police substation? Where's the communication infrastructure? Where's the water? Where's the sanitation? Where's whatever non-governmental organizations, all, all of that stuff. But you also want to look at crime statistics on what crime is happening, where? So I, I wouldn't expect your audience to want to go make an AO book, but but it's interesting to do that, to see what's around you, but look at the crime statistics, understand how crime, um, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here, related to demographics or correlated to demographics can affect the things that could happen where you live. and. And if, if you're, if you can accept what that looks like, okay, that's fine. I mean, maybe you want to move, maybe you don't, um, or maybe you don't have the ability to move. So if you have an understanding of what you are likely to be up against, then I would start to protect for that. I would start to harden my house. And by that, I mean, a lot of this is mindset with the people you live with. You know, it's funny, my wife, you know, we've been married a very long time, like 25 years. And when, after she goes to bed, I know I have to wake myself up and go lock all the doors in the house because she's you like, too, Oh, huh? you're home. I don't, I don't have to lock. <laughs> no, well, she only does it when I'm there. She's all "You're home. So I don't have to worry about it. Cause I know you're going to go check everything and you're going to get up in the middle of the night if there's anything that makes any noise. And when I'm gone, which pre COVID, I was gone a lot, 40% of the time, maybe, you know, she of course has got everything hardened down. So You need to have a communications or you need to have a plan and communicate to the people that you live with to say, okay, let's start by just locking the door. Another thing is I would have adequate lighting um, in various places. Um, Another was I'm a strong advocate of the video doorbells Um, (laughs) without getting into uh, firmware that phones home made in China or other issues or long term plans like I guess it's the Echo Hub just get a doorbell that you could, you know, see the video on your phone. So you can actually see who's there. You know, when we think in terms of of crime robberies and, uh, you know, burglaries, most of those burglaries take place between 10 a.m. and noon, historically, pre-COVID, because that's when generally people are at work and you get people going door to door, knocking on it, and if nobody answers, then they break in. So the doorbell is a good tool to address that, because you can can do that remotely. Make sure your door locks and your windows are all reasonably secure. Um, I would say other elements of this is uh, I would have a food supply that's a minimum of 30 days. Um, for for me at my house, we run it a year. Um, have a water plan so that you have access to water. And, and this isn't like crime or the zombie apocalypse. This is, you know, long-term power outages. I live in So sometimes we have big snowstorms. So plan for all that. And, you know, there's a lot more to be said about, you know, levels of preparedness. But I, I don't want people to be overwhelmed, right? What's your fire plan? Do you have fire extinguishers? You know, you can go out to your local fire district and they'll let you probably on a monthly basis spray fire extinguishers at fire. The fire department loves that stuff. So work on those things to make yourself you know, more responsible for yourself because ultimately nobody is coming to save you. They will not, or excuse me, assume that they will not, they, they may, but you're on your own and even if they do come, maybe 10 or 15 minutes until they get there. So you need to be able to hold out that long or potentially significantly longer. Does that help cover what you're looking for there?
0: Yeah, do you guys have, does your family have a plan? So if they know like here's some threats that, could happen. We know what to do. Does the, everyone knows what they're supposed to do and what their role is, or how's that work? Yeah,
2: it, so I wouldn't say that everybody knows what their role is. Um, so it's, it's a really good question because this has been interesting, especially raising kids. You know, and my kids are all young adults now. Um, they've lived with this their whole life. They've been shooting their whole life. Um, my My wife has done a bunch of combative stuff with me like combatives training. My son has done a lot of combatives stuff with me. My two daughters, daughters—they we've gone to like family range day. So I'll go hire a friend to be an instructor and have the family train. So so their level of awareness is generally, I'd say, quite high uh, compared to most people. Um, we do have, um, you know, f- locations for fires and, and, and how to meet. But I, it's not like we're going to opt uh, act as a squad if somebody comes into the house. It's essentially a shelter-in-place type of thing, and if depending on what the situation was, um, we have an area of the house that everybody can move to, uh, and they w- they would be there or outside. Uh, so when I say this has been difficult, it's largely because you know dealing with teenagers and you know Carter, I, I know your daughter, you know for. For kids to take on, um, I think, the stress of what is involved in a lot of that stuff and be able to process it in, in a way similar to the way adults do, I think is just really hard. So what what I've done is I haven't like pushed this on everybody and freaked them out. I've just made it kind of part of their life. So is there a plan? Yep, generally there's a plan. People don't have specific roles, but but they work quite well. And, and one last thing, and I'll let you guys comment, is that This was really evidenced when all of a sudden we get the lockdowns for COVID. And now there's my small family work together. And I mean, Carter, you and I talked about this at the time, but it was like, oh, shit, this is really happening. And so what we ended up doing is uh, the family did a very good job of um, breaking things into tasks for an overall plan for the family to make sure that we're meeting our physical security needs, health security needs, food, sanitation, water. We, we have animals, uh, we, you know, so we need to make sure that that was all looked after. And we actually did really quite well, I think, as a family overall. And I think a lot of that comes to really years of discussing this and, and of kind of preparing for it.
1: What, what about uh, – Carter had a recent uh, – well, we talked about the family – In St. Louis. Um, What about the woman who. I don't know if people saw it. She was trying to leave the Chipotle. And a mother and daughter. Got into an argument with her. And followed her to her car. And were trying to prevent her from getting in her car. Which she finally did. Her husband came around and helped her into the car. But then when they were trying to back out. The mother went behind their car. And struck the back of their car. And then the woman got out. Of the vehicle and pulled a gun on them um and we were talking about this in a podcast of like what are your options let's say because you know we see the rioting and mobbing and stuff going on and i've seen a number of of, um videos now with uh cars that are being attacked by the mob yeah um what if you're in your vehicle and you're being approached by someone or someone's blocking your path or what do you suggest in situations like
2: that, uh, really, really good question. And that video has generated a lot of discussion in, in groups that I frequent. So let me break this into two parts. Let's talk about the video and how they acted and things they may have done differently that might have resulted in a better outcome for them. Um, and then let's talk about let's call it security driving, if you will, which is a, a slightly different topic, but but, but certainly related. So. So in that case, there's a number of things in that video that, um, I was kind of struck by one is, you know, we already talked about the color codes and this notion of deescalation, right? And it doesn't have to be criminals. It could just be people that are pissed off. And, you know, there, there's, um, Um, there's a guy named uh, Dr. William April, which actually he'd be great to get on your show. I might be able to help with that, but, um, he is a criminal psychologist, PhD, and he studies criminal behavior. And one of the, the things that's most striking and fundamental about this is that when we, if we find ourselves in a situation similar to what happened at, I think it was whatever Arby's or whatever it was that, you are interacting with people or you may in your daily life interact with people that fundamentally have a different set of morals than you do. And so what, what we try to do is, you know, we, we are, we are social animals and we bring our worldview. Have I, have you guys lost me? No, I hear you. you. Okay. So we, we bring our worldview to, um, to a situation and we expect people to act in a way similar to the way we would react to something. And so our expectation is, is that, oh, they're going to act like I am. But if you think in terms of of criminals or or sociopaths, for example, not necessarily. They have a completely different view on things. Um, One uh, case in point, and I'll go back to the video, in the French Quarter in New Orleans in 2010, there was... Uh, a Marine who I think had been to like a Marine Corps ball. He was in dress blues and his, um, I think girlfriend, wife, fiance, is in a beautiful gown and it's late, late at night, early morning. They're just walking down the street and there's video of all this and a car full of locals drives by and somebody yells out the window, like cat calls at this Marines wife or what have you something like that. And he shrugs it off. He's like, whatever. He just keeps walking, right? It's no big deal to him. And, and so what happens is the car gets down the road a bit, turns around and the driver comes back out, gets out of the car, runs up behind the Marine, stabs the Marine to death and the Marine dies. And then he gets back in the car and he drives off. So this guy ultimately, um, he he gets sentenced, and during the sentencing, he was asked, why did you do that? Why in the world, over a cat call, would you do this? And his answer was, well, where I come from, I had dishonored the Marine by having somebody in my car, and the driver had nothing to do with this, providing the cat call, and in, in his worldview, if he didn't go out and kill that guy, that guy would come back and kill him or whatever, get in a major fight with him, and that would be a loose end. So he had no choice but to go and kill the Marine. So for those of us, mo- most of us in at least the world I live in, that's a horrendous, horrendous way of being. But there are a tremendous number of people in inner cities that live that way. So when I watch the video um, you know, of the gal pulling the gun, and I watch what's going on, the first thing I think is, wow, there, there was uh, some talk that was kind of honor culture kind of things and, you know, you're disrespecting me. So the first thing I would have done is I would have just swallowed my pride, apologized profusely, you know, tell the girl that she bumped into, I apologize again, ma'am, I'm sorry about this, and, and then try to get out of, out of the situation. Um, now, in terms of them, you know, banging on the car and doing that, that was a different escalation. I know the wife had mentioned to the husband numerous times, I think, to call 911, which I don't believe the couple in the minivan ever did, which is actually has turned out to be a problem for them. Um, but uh, but those are some of the things that I would have thought about. I would have tried to de-escalate to the extent that I could. I would have tried to get the police involved. Um, I, you know, her her pulling the gun out. Um, was definitely a, a big escalation of the situation. But I think you know if she was pregnant, maybe she genuinely felt threatened. So um, that's some of the ways that, that I would have looked at that situation. Is that helpful at all?
1: Yes. Would you have stayed, maybe if they, they couldn't get out of
2: the parking lot, just stay in the car and call the police? I wouldn't have stayed in the car. I might have just parked the car, locked it, and walked off. Or, or mm-hmm. walked back into a more public place Walk like, back into the, chipotle. into the restaurant or, or something like that and, and wait for the police to show up or, or, or whatever. Sure. But again, I, I would start by, you know, not leading with my ego and saying, hey, I apologize because, you know, you absolutely don't want to get and you, you don't want to have be involved in a shooting in any way, um, even if you don't get hurt, because, you know, automatically you're probably going to spend twenty thirty thousand 30 thousand dollars. Even if it's a completely justified shooting, uh, and and you know y- you're likely to lose your liberty because you go to prison. So um, yeah, I de-escalate, try to get out of the situation, um, wait for them to maybe cool off and focus on something else, go back into uh, a public place, uh, something like that.
0: So uh, there's something going on here that. Uh... <clears throat> I'm not actually sure how to parse. I don't know how I, what I think about this, but I want to run this by you. So, your your advice that you're giving makes a lot of sense. Um, but you are also someone who has a lot of exposure to other cultures, other um, ways of of thinking, and so and often as you you know we said at the beginning of the show, you're out somewhere by yourself, and so getting out alive is like priority number one, right? <laughs> Which which makes a lot of sense. Yes, but I, but there's definitely a contingent of Americans who are kind of tired of the anti-Western culture changes that are happening in the U.S. And there's almost this sense of honor, like I don't want to just apologize profusely and back up because that's not that shouldn't be necessary in my country. And they wanna they wanna they actually want to have an altercation in some way. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that at all, because I'm not actually not sure what I think about it.
2: Ooh, parsing. Um, so I think, you know, if somebody wants to get involved in an altercation and take out their frustration, go to a boxing gym or an MMA gym and, you know, take out your frustration there. I think, you know, uh, you, you absolutely do not want to be in a street fight. I mean, even if it's just fists, right? Most most people have no training I- at all. And, you know, there's a lot of bravado and uh, males in particular, you know, puff their chests out and, you know, want to be badasses and talk really loud. But, but you know, if if you get struck in the head and you lose your consciousness and you're not upright and you hit like a parking standard or a curb or a car, you could easily be killed in that situation or you could kill somebody else. So I understand people are frustrated, um, but taking it out with a physical altercation on the street is just stupid um, in my my mind. I mean, if you want want to argue your position, argue it uh, from a political standpoint, I certainly can appreciate people's frustration. But uh, if I understood you correctly – you know, wanting to take it out by yelling at people and wagging fingers in public uh, probably isn't very productive and may be extremely dangerous.
0: Uh, well, I think yeah. you're probably right, but I did want to address it because uh, I know there is that sense. And I'll just say, as all, all of the quote bad at most badass people that I know, and I'll I'll put you in the category of mm. people who are deadly that I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of within some sort of distance of a weapon that you. Can reach like there's plenty of people yeah. and there's people that you've introduced me to and there's people like Craig Douglas all of those people, um, in fact one of the most respected guys Louis Arbuck who's no longer with us like yeah. I, one of the things I remember him saying most was like my favorite defense is the sneaker defense all these guys yeah. are like, super <laughs> humble and they just want to run away and get away and like none of them wanted to get into a fight none of them and all of them could probably kick the ass of almost everyone that they're on average likely to encounter in the real world and yet they still. Avoid, avoid, avoid is their number one uh, rule. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's it's interesting when you, um, like in martial arts, um, like jujitsu is a really good example. Brazilian jujitsu is that you have the white belts that come in, and a lot of times they're twenty something, really athletic males, kind of spazzy, and and their focus is really on the athleticism and you know desperation to do something, whereas. You know, when when they get a couple of stripes on their white belt and and getting belts in jujitsu is is a multi-year kind of thing. But ultimately, as people get more proficient in in the martial arts in general, they're generally far less likely to get involved in, in a violent encounter just because they they know that you have no idea how lethal somebody else is. And they're also much more confident in themselves as individuals. And, and in most cases, I, I would say tend to take more responsibility for that. Um, there, are, there are some notable exceptions where some MMA fighters have gotten in fights publicly, but that's really pretty rare. Oh. yeah. So, so I want to go back to one other thing I didn't cover for Kerry, which was this whole notion of what do you do about you know, the riots and how do you not get involved with that or what do you do? What you if know, you're driving through Yeah.
1: and all of a sudden there's a mob that you come upon and they descend upon your vehicle?
2: Yeah. So so a couple of things. I'm actually I'm doing a whatever a workshop next month for one of the communities that I participate in on on just this subject. And um, so so the first thing is, again, deescalate. Right. Can you avoid the situation? So one of the things I do is um, I if I'm going anywhere, I run mapping on my phone for the route so that I could see the traffic. And the traffic is going to tell me, uh, if things are backed up or if there's an issue. And, in the metro area I live in, this has actually helped me once already where there was a protest over a freeway that I'd be driving over and I avoided it. So, so the first thing is if I can, I, I want to avoid it. Um, the next thing is, is am I alone or am I with other people that I care about? So, the decisions I make there w- will vary as I go up this kind of um, uh, thought process tree, right? Kind of if and else type of stuff. So um, if I am in the vehicle by myself, uh, then one of the things I want to do is I want to make sure that my doors are locked. Um, the other thing I want to do is I'll probably put my air conditioning on recirculate. The reason I'm going to do that is that If there's a riot going on and there's tear gas or, you know, CS gas or pepper balls are being shot, I don't want that in the cab of my vehicle. I want the protesters dealing with that, not me. So that kind of keeps me um, in, in better shape. Now, the next level, and this is quite reminiscent of the color codes, right? So now within that group of people that are surrounding me, I've got my increased level of awareness and i'm looking for specific threats like you know the guy that shoots from the a pillar into that suv and provo right whoa there's a specific thing that i may need to deal with there or, or are they all working together to try to overturn the vehicle um do they have molotov cocktails you know are they going to burn me up these are all decisions um that i have to make uh and in, in what i do with that now If I have other people with me in the car, um, there's a whole series of things that you need to think about in terms of, um, how do I operate within that vehicle? And by operate, I mean, what martial force am I bringing to deal with people? Let's say, for example, I don't get a door unlocked and they open the door and they're trying to drag me out. That's a specific problem I need to solve. Or. Let's say I'm trying to, you know, use the sneaker defense and get out of the vehicle, but they trap me in the vehicle, um, it's, we call it the triangle, where you open the door and there's a triangle there, but you're not all the way clear of it, so you're not free to fight, even if you're in a group of people, but you get you get stuck in there. So there's a number of things that you can do to protect yourself. And again, this is still in the context of, you know, um, stay conscious and stay on your feet so to speak right and then there's other things i can do um if i need to shoot out the window of the car so for example if i'm in the driver's position right and i've got a left-hand drive car and i've got a loved one that's on the passenger side and like the thing in provo when the guy came up at the a pillar let's say i've made the decision that i need to now shoot through the window to shoot at that guy because that's an immediate threat to you know whoever's in my passenger seat and or me and the rest of us. So I need to be able to make sure that I have the skills to get up out of my seat, access the weapon, hold the person down in the passenger seat so they're clear of the muzzle, shoot through the window and the glass in such a way to eliminate that threat and then deal with whatever comes as a result of that. And then I I could say a whole lot more about this, because if you're fighting in the car, um, the ability to get the in-fight weapons access in the vehicle, whether it's a firearm or a knife, and how you deal with those individuals uh, is a different story. There's also the ability uh, to drive away. So this becomes a very complicated question, looking at uh, kind of force continuum for self-defense. And, um, let's say if the guy is shooting at you into the vehicle, you know, do you have the lawful ability to drive through them and drive off to save your own life? Uh, maybe it depends on, you know, the, 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 rule of law. But I also think that today, if you were to do that, you're going to prison, uh, because we've got prosecutors that are just not accepting people, you know, um, doing anything against the protesters at all. Uh, And if, you know, you're, you know, a self like me, they would say, oh, you know, you're a guy who's got 25, 30 years of self-defense training. Look at this. You're a gun person. You know you teach martial arts. You know, you're you're just out there to get somebody. So I'd be going to prison. But in terms of making a plan, I need to plan for that ahead of time. And what am I willing to do and what outcomes am I willing to accept? To protect either my loved ones or myself or both.
0: Can so you? i kind of you, long long-winded. Yeah. There' a lot to say. I'm actually going to ask you to say something else too, because you and I spoke about this the other day, and I and you mentioned something that I don't think a lot of people realize. So a lot of people separate the uh, going to jail from staying alive, which is fine. I'm not going to say that they they need to always factor in legal consequences. That's their decision. Um, but there's this question of like, well, can I just plow through people if I need to to get away? And there's a technical problem with that that I think people don't realize. Oh, uh,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah, with modern vehicles. So uh, thanks for reminding me of that. Um, we, we have this, this is Carrie, back to one of the things you were talking about, mm-hmm. about kind of retreating to the car, so to speak. And I said, ooh, lot to say about cars. Modern vehicles are engineered in such a way and they have so many sensors that, depending on the force that's put on the front clip, It could deploy the airbags, um, or if you're actually running over people, there's the ability to do enough damage to that vehicle in a very short period of time that it then becomes dead in the water. So you really need to think about what am I driving and what am I doing here? So there's a a big difference between having the vehicle surrounded and use two-footed driving, so one foot on the brake, one foot on the gas, keep the car on the power band, and move it forward slowly in the hopes that everybody gets out of the way versus I'm going to stand on the gas and just plow through them because you may render your vehicle inoperable. And then now you've got really pissed off protesters because you ran over a bunch of their buddies and that's, and that's a big problem. So get, car a, doesn't go anywhere.
1: get a vintage sedan is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm <laughs>
2: <That> kidding. <you. laughs> so, so yeah, definitely uh, th- there's some considerations there for sure.
0: Maybe uh maybe the maybe the last thing that we should talk about I don't want to keep you too long but maybe the last thing we should talk oh. about is um is building a community which also didn't I didn't, didn't tell you I was going to ask you about but one of the things that you've got that I know has taken you decades to do but you've built quite a community of people around you that can if there's any question that you've got about anything I have zero uh doubt that you can pick up the phone and call some expert on that thing and and then go get training on that thing if you want. Um, can you talk about how you've done that and how you recommend other people start building uh, their communities?
2: Um, sure. So, uh, so the community thing is a really big deal. Um, one of the first things is um, I, I think a high degree of loyalty is really important. So you know, as we move through our lives, I think that we have – different interests at different times and the amount of focus we put in those interests it changes right so you know one day you may be really into photography and maybe later you're into i don't know competitive swimming something like that but when i talk about loyalty you want to keep connections with those people that you kind of resonate with and are like-minded for you in anything you do and then of course you also want to pick what are the things that I'm interested in? So for me, um, there's been a lot of things from a community standpoint that I've nurtured f- throughout you know really decades. One is very much a liberty focus. I know on your show, you talk about, you know, um, philosophy, culture, politics, the collectivism versus individualism. So for me, just really since a very young age, I've been very focused on freedom and liberty and individual rights and what does that look like. So as I move through the world, I try to, you know, collect people, so to speak, uh, that have those ideologies, like the guy I saw cleaning his pistol and talking about him and throwing out, hey, you should read Ayn Rand, right? <laughs> and then maintaining connections with you over, you know, a couple of decades. As as our, the arcs of our life, you know, were different. So so I think really focusing on people and and be, staying connected to the people that really will make a difference in the long run. And that that is actually a lot of work. And then I think there's um, you know, communities around um, certain subjects. So you know, for me, a lot of that stuff is um, um uh, a lot of it's been kind of around shooting and and liberty is one. Uh, a lot of it has been around just self-sufficiency and preparedness. Um a lot of stuff around, you know, hunting and animal husbandry uh is another thing. Um my wife is a is a really a big gardener. Now I'm I'm not the gardener. I help her a little bit, she's the gardener, but but focusing on those things uh to you know to ensure that we've got you know a more sustainable uh, you know existence. So um what happens over time, I think, you know, if you, if you do the right things in the right amount at the right time, uh, you do build those communities. And as long as you're reliable and continue to challenge yourself to learn, I think, you know, kind of creative destruction, uh, that those communities build, and, uh, that's, it's really, really powerful because as you said, you have a lot of people there that can help and, um, and generate value for you. So I think you get back much more than you give.
0: Well, I mean, one of the things that we talked about when this COVID stuff <clears throat> started happening is you and I were concerned. And then actually, I guess on top of the COVID, then there, there's been the increasing you know, protests and civil unrest. And one of the things that you know, I looked at, I looked at your situation, I don't wanna get into details of your situation, but I, I looked at your situation and it became pretty obvious to me that this is not the kind of thing that money can buy. It's not the kind of thing that like, oh, I, I've got six months to prepare myself for some doom. There's an apocalypse coming and I've got six months and I've got unlimited resources I can prepare myself. You've got fallback locations, families that you'll, you'll be with. Like you have an entire plan of like, okay, if these things happen – this is the this is where we're going. These are the this these are the resources we we have prepared. These are the families that are coming with us. Um that's something that takes it's got to take I probably took you decades to do.
2: Yeah, it does, but it's it's kind of a labor of love and I get to be with a lot of people I love and care about and you know, live in live in a very positive world, right? There's a lot of things going on in our world today that are not very positive and you know, it it could be easy for one to kind of put their head in the oven, so to speak, and say, Oh God, it's all bad. But there's a lot of good things in the world. You know, I, I, really, I appreciate the two of you so much for the message that you're communicating and the bravery with which you, you know, you're bringing that out to the world. I think it's super important. So, um, so it's all good. I think in terms of the, you know, the unsafe space community, um, I, I know I'm very anonymous in it and I do that by design, but, uh, But I really appreciate seeing all these people thinking about these things and maybe learning things that they hadn't thought about or thinking about their independence in a different way and really what brings uh, joy and happiness to their lives and and really their their family. So I have hope for future generations. I think it's going to take us a while to get out of the shit that we're in right now. But uh, there are a lot of good people and that's to be celebrated.
0: Here, here, here. Absolutely. What, what, what would you say yeah. to, what would you say to the unsafe space community at large that, um, would like if you, if they said, give me a recipe for getting this part of my life in order for like, okay, I, I want a recipe for what, what should I go do to make sure that, um, I've got my, my safety and my family's safety taken care of. What kind of classes should I take? What kind of stuff should I study? Like what's, what's my recipe?
2: Sure. So, uh... I would start in maybe a little bit different place, right, is that I I would encourage uh, the unsafe space community to write themselves a postcard from the future. And by that I mean, you know, think in terms of 10 years from now when you say, my life is so fulfilled at this point. I have, you know, I'm emotionally healthy, I'm physically healthy, I have a relationship that's fantastic, I'm surrounded – Uh, with love and i and i give love i'm financially secure what does that look like and that's going to be different for everybody else so with that postcard from the future you could start breaking those discrete elements into steps so um you know uh, let's say health and vitality is one too so one is um what are you doing for your physical health and your mental well-being super important how are you dealing with that if you've got a bunch of baggage emotionally you know, go see a therapist because it's never too late to have a happy childhood. So get, get past all that, right? Get off the couch and, and get moving. Get some endorphins going. Um, if you're a new firearms owner, good on you. Go take uh, a firearms class, right? If, if it, you can take a CCW class, that's great. Uh, if you're in a state where you can't do that, just go take a training class. There's tons of stuff for you to do. Financially, be in a better position. Get rid of your debt, save money, have start with at least one month's worth of financial reserves, uh, then go to three months, then go to six months. And if you can do it, go to a year, um, generally live below your means, um, plan a garden, learn about gardening, um, sit at home. And like one of the things I do with my family, this gives us a lot of joy is we generally have, um, a family meal, um, when we're all here. And one of the things we do is we play the thankful game, which is we just go around the table and talk about what you're thankful for, and that's fantastic because with kids that gets the kids talking, and sometimes the kids roll their eyes, but they usually like to play, and and now you have better communication, so that improves the family dynamic. Um, if you you know you're in a situation where um, your home isn't very secure, or you don't see, think you have that physical safety, identify a place where you can aspire to a, a better way of being, right? So figure out how to be your better self, right? It is in there, and you can do it, and there, there are people that will help you. And, you know, I know we talk about a lot of dark stuff lately, but, man, there's a whole lot to live for, right? If you think about the 10,000 generations before us and what they had to contend with versus what we're contending with now, wow we live in a super interesting time in history so make the best of it
0: i think carrie's going to be very happy with that answer it is an awesome (laughs) way to end the show because it's so nice and positive
1: yeah it's so positive Uh, thank you so much steve for that ending on a positive note because sometimes i'll end on one but then carter slips in some pessimism (laughs) And then we have to retake. Yeah,
2: that's, that, that's when you slip off to the bathroom. <laughs> anyway, hey, hey, I, hey. I, I, we end with Carrie laughing because I felt like it might have been a little bit intense. But uh, anyway, th- thank you guys for having me on. Um, it's great. I'm really happy that the show is kind of blowing up. I know I'm a big advocate for it in lots of places. So, um, yeah, be well. And if there's... Questions from the community, I can make myself available to cool. address those. And um, maybe if we ever do have a face-to-face unsafe space meeting, I can teach some Marshall seminar on something. So I'd be happy to do that.
1: Yeah, that'd be fun.
0: Yeah, I'm that'd in. be great. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you yep. very much, uh, Steve. And um, just, so, just so everyone knows how much Steve is contributing to this, uh, Steve's uh-huh. also helping me get people for this series on personal protection and that kind of stuff. So he's the he's the connection guy who's going to help provide some of the expertise beyond what he's provided today. So thank you very much.
2: My pleasure. I'm here to help.
0: Thanks for watching. See you there.
3: Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. Using social justice math, I have calculated a triangle-sadness-unity-spiderweb chance that these are all Russian bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Marxists seem so nice. Do you really think they would lie to you? That last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.